house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Revolution Studios presents the musical phenomenon that defined a generation. Welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that loves our gay son and our gay bartender fanboy equally. Woo! I love you, Ricky! <laughs> Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello. Chris... It is January 27th, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on in, we very much shoot without a script, and we'll see if anything comes of it instead of our old shit. Uh, we, we, are, we will be speak singing all of the lyrics of Rent this episode. We have the entire book and score in front of us, and just like the film, instead of singing, we are just going to like say the exact words. Speak in rhyme, score. Chris. Let's start speaking in rhyme. It's going to be great. Uh, I'll, I will try. <laughs> First shot, Roger. Okay, so we are going to be talking about the 2005 musical extravaganza, Rent, and we are recording this on the day that the Rent live musical is going to be on television. We are, we didn't plan this quite ahead, so I don't know. Maybe this is, you're, you're enjoying yourselves. You enjoyed yourself at the Rent musical. You had a good time. And now it's a couple weeks later, and you know what? Like, you're thinking about, oh, didn't we have a great time on January 27th? Watching Rent live. And so this will be your chance to relive it through the eyes of two people talking about the movie version of it. So... You know what? We can be thematic, too, all right? Rent, the movie version directed by Chris Columbus, written by... This is a thing I had forgotten. Steve Chbosky had adapted the musical for the screen from, obviously, Jonathan Larson's musical, Pulitzer Prize-winning musical and such, starring Adam Pascal, Anthony Rapp, Adina Menzel, Jesse L. Martin, Wilson Germain Heredia, Tay Diggs, and also, new to the cast... Rosario Dawson and Tracy Toms, we will talk about them for sure. This premiered on November 23rd, 2005. I'm going to assume that's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yep, exactly. So right in the thick of award season 2005. It was, I've, this is another one of those movies where I was telling people that we're doing Rent this week. And I got a lot of interrobang uh, 
responses of rent had oscar buzz that's insane to me that people don't remember but it's indicative of what the reputation of the movie became very shortly thereafter because people can't imagine that a movie that is so ill-regarded as the rent movie uh ever had oscar buzz but it really did like it's not just that it had a little bit like people were really really anticipating this don't you think some of that has to go to the it's like rent is on an upswing rent is cool again thank god Mm -hmm, but like don't you think some of that has to do with the like diminishing reputation for the musical itself like people don't people like kind of take for granted what a cultural touchstone rent the musical was at the time and like the prestige around this thing this I mean, we'll get into this, but this is still one of the very few musicals that have won a Pulitzer. Right. There's like six of them. And like that was huge when that happened for Rent at the time. Yeah. And like what it what what it did for like just Broadway culture too. It was the first show that was like we're gonna give out. I think they did twenty five dollar tickets if you slept on the street. Yeah. Beforehand, which is kind of like. Also, we're really going to get into the whole Chicago effect of it all. But like people also don't remember that there were not this litany of movie musicals after Chicago that didn't make it to Best Picture when Rent came out. This was like essentially the first it like beat the producers by like a month right to the theater in terms of like the first big stage to screen transfer of a big musical since Chicago won Best Picture in 2002. And so it wasn't, you didn't have, you know, nine and hairspray and the producers as evidence that like, Oh, this thing doesn't work for, for as far as we knew, this was the new hot thing. And you would well, have been and foolish. you also had Phantom the year before this, right. which Phantom. was like Phantom was bad, but it still got a bunch of Oscar exactly. nominations. Exactly. And it was like, it wasn't like, well, it's not that the musical like isn't hot with Oscar anymore. It's that this was a bad movie, but like right. still they're paying attention. Yeah. So anyway, um, Chris, before we get into that, because that's I think that's going to be a big, huge part of our discussion is the post Chicago musical onslaught. Onslaught seems weird than when it's like one once every year or two. But like, bear with me. But before we do all that, would you like to feature us? With a 60-second plot rendition, in song or spoken, whichever one you prefer, of the rent, the plot for Rent. I would love to. All right. This I am... is what I've been, like, dying to do. This is what you've been life. living for. This is what for. I was born for. Okay. I am... Tell people what happens in Rent. Yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. I have my little stopwatch on my phone, and I'm ready when you are. Okay, I'm ready. Ready, Go. Okay, so everybody's going to open their playbills to the middle. You're going to see a map of all the characters. First of all, you have the main two characters are Mark and Roger. They are best friends, Roger's girlfriend. Um, Her name was they were They were both heroin addicts. Don't sing. You're going to throw me out. <laughs> They're both um, uh, using heroin, and they like shared needles, and they both are now HIV positive. His girlfriend killed herself because she couldn't cope with it. Uh, Mark is a uh, fledgling filmmaker. He's making a documentary of all of his friends' lives. 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Um, Mark was just dumped by Maureen, who's a performance artist. She's now dating a lawyer named Joanne. 
why is that still a joke? Because it became, this was built in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also being visited by Collins, their other friend who just got fired from MIT. Um, Collins gets beat up and falls in love with Angel, a um, drag queen that helps him. Oh, wow. Um, Collins is trying to shut them down to build a studio. He's their friend who's like now made it rich. And then there's Mimi who lives downstairs. She is also addicted to drugs and she starts falling in love with Roger. Wow. There's a lot of plot. Christmas. You didn't even didn't get to even Angel. Poor Angel. I know. No, I mentioned Angel. Yeah, but all of her story. Like any of I Angel mean, this movie kind of truncates Angel's story, too. It's interesting that you mentioned the making the, the punchline of Maureen dating Joanne, because I was singing uh, the tango Maureen in the shower today, as naturally I would be. And I was thinking about the decision on... When Mark asks Joanne where she learned to tango, and she says with the headmaster, headmaster's daughter at Miss Porter's, and he follows with uh, Nanette Himmelfarb, the rabbi's yeah. daughter at the Scarsdale, whatever, whatever. And I was like, that's interesting, the choice of which one to make the punchline in that, right? Yeah. We're like, do you make the punchline that Joanne learned it from a girl, or do you make the punchline that Mark learned it from the like Jewiest name Jewish he ever camp. heard of? Right. Yeah. And I was just like, that's really like I mean, on one level it's like you're you know, stereotype versus stereotype, but it's another, it's like, okay, well at the very least, because they did make a punchline out of like Maureen's dating a girl and like even like Collins and Roger are sort of laughing at him and it's just like wow not very enlightened are we in 1995 or when what rent was 90 96 96 96 because uh, not only is rent live starring Valentina rent is part of club 96 club 96 <laughs> I didn't even think about that dang you have yeah. got it together. Valentina is just staying in Club 96, girl. <laughs> That's so perfect. Um, but I don't know. I just that was that was my little uh, Tango Maureen thought. You know, I'll have one a week. Maybe I'll come back every week with a different thought about the Tango Maureen. I'm into that. The songs I'm in really this show that. are so fucking good, Chris. Like, I know the and, reputation ooh. of this movie is like really bad, and a lot big part of that is Chris Columbus, and people were sort of very trepidatious about Chris Columbus. Uh, and pro- it's a you know- fundamental wrong choice for, I would say, any musical, but particularly this musical. I still feel like, and maybe I am like, and I mean, there is no maybe about it. I am incredibly basic. But like, I still really love especially the first hour of this movie. See, I think that's like where I'm really thrown in. Maybe this is because I'm a super fan of the musical okay listeners i will full-on confess i have probably seen various iterations of rent a dozen times on the stage oh this is what we should do okay before we get into this we should each tell our like rent story like our origin story like where did you connect to it where did i because i think that also really informs where the two of us are coming from on this movie okay so you go first well okay so my rent origin story like Rent, like, weirdly belongs to, like, it doesn't belong to us, but, like, it's, like, a huge part of the narrative of my family, or at least going to the theater. Like, I say I've seen Rent a dozen times. I would guarantee you that my sister has seen it probably 20 times. Uh Um, Whether in various stores, on Broadway. I've seen non-professional companies of it, and I've seen, like, friends do Rent. Have you ever been in a production of Rent? I have never been in a production of Rent. I am no longer an actor, but there was a day where I was like, I will literally murder a human being to play Mark. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
so yeah, that's like a huge part of it. Like I would have seen it. I mean, I was probably 12 when I first saw it. I might have been like 11. Um, and yeah, like it's interesting, like because I think the people who are the actual super fans of Rent have a harder time with this movie. And um, like because it's this kind of weirdly maligned thing now because if you were really into Rent at the time and like what it was what its themes were and like what it was talking about going on in American society and homelessness and HIV AIDS, like you recognize it at least from what it was at the time as this incredibly authentic expression of what was going on, especially in New York city. Whereas if you didn't, it's like, it feels incredibly dated now. Yeah. It's, like it feels like a period piece. It does. It definitely does. No, wait. Now, when you say you saw it for the first time at 12 and you saw it a bunch of times, would this be Broadway productions, touring productions? Like what? All of it. All of it. All of it. I probably saw it on Broadway four times. Wow. Um, See, my family never vacationed to New York City. I grew up in Buffalo, but it's still like as far away from New York it, within New York State as possible. And we just never, we never made a trip down to the city ever. The first time I ever went to New York City, I was 24 years old. I just, we just never did. So I have no history of mm-hmm. Broadway theater. The only history I have of musical theater at all would have been seeing something on a class trip up to Toronto. That's where we saw Phantom of the Opera or like mm-hmm. seeing a little thing at like regional productions in Buffalo. But I didn't even start seeing like Buffalo has a pretty decent regional theater, but like I never really started even going things to see things there until I was in my 20s. So I was like mm-hmm. fully every little bit of like music musical theater fag in me has come very late. So Interesting. which is why my first experience with Rent was with the movie which the I was sort of following the anticipation for. I always knew that like Rent was this big uh, sort of cultural touchstone for my generation, for people my age. I remember when I was in college, there were flyers for bus trips down to New York to go see Rent. And I was like, now looking back, I was like, shit, I should have done that. That would have been like really like amazing. And maybe I would have done some gay shit before I left college. That would have been fun. Um, <laughs> but... This whole podcast is going to turn into, like, me on the couch being like, and that's why I can't love anybody. Um, (laughs) And you just said that gay shit, so, like, it's just going to become another that gay shit meme. Of course it is. Absolutely it is. If you know Chris File personally, you know he will send you memes that are just called this gay, that gay shit. Anyway, so the movie goes into production. I know there's the whole thing about like the original cast and yada, yada, and people are freaking out about Chris Columbus and yada, yada, that. And then the trailer comes out. The first trailer is just seasons of love. And it's just like, Oh, there's that song that the one song from rent that I know. But then the, the second trailer comes out and it's, uh, no day, but today that's sort of like, that's the song that plays through whatever. And I am as a like repressed, emo like i had just come out of the closet by this point just and sort of looking to sort of throw my emotions in every which way direction and i see this trailer and i'm just like this is everything i'm so into this, this. Is my life i can't wait to see this movie i like i listened to the cast album like once through just to sort of like get a sense of what it was and i think i like read up on like what the plot was essentially so like i knew going into the movie 
what to expect. But like mostly I'm just like, give me all of these emotions, 1990s. Just like yeah, bring yeah, them all yeah, back yeah. to me. And so I was very, very, very much primed to love the movie without having the additional baggage of having loved the show and needing the movie to live up to it. So on that level... I it was much easier for me to experience the movie because I do feel like for as much as we're going to pick apart what Columbus does to the transfer of it, I think a lot of the bad reviews that happened to Rent when the movie came out were from people who just don't like Rent, who just saw it and maybe were seeing it for the first time and had never seen the show and are just like, this is obnoxious and irritating and i don't and i think they would have thought the same thing about the musical and either wouldn't have said it or would have figured that they're just like there's a fundamental thing they're not getting i was in like a weird position when the reviews for this movie came out because like i agree with you but i also feel like a lot of the vehemence against this movie were people not liking musicals themselves. So it's like, I felt defensive. I was like, you are right. This movie is bad for all the reasons you're saying it, but the, like the weight that you're putting behind it is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I think musicals in general, but I I think this musical specifically were like, this is where you got a lot of the, like, you know, punk kids don't want to pay their rent. Benny's right. Yada, 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 all that stuff. Which, by the way, it is fascinating watching Rent in the Year of Our Lord 2019. And I'm like, because I also had gone through that thing where I was just like, fucking pay your rent, guys. I do. You should do it, too. And now I'm like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't pay rent to these, you know, corporate whatever, (laughs) like, gentrifier, gouger, like, fuck Benny. Fuck Benny is basically was I felt that so much more acutely watching it this time than I did before. So I feel like yeah. late capitalism has really brought rent back into sharper focus for me. <laughs> okay, so if we can talk about like the anticipation of someone who like is a super fan of this when this movie was coming out, yeah. two things in pre-production because like pre-production, we'll get into it. You have some stuff, but it was semi-quiet on this movie. It was the Christopher Columbus thing, which everyone was immediately like, absolutely not. Right. He was coming off of uh, the first two Harry Potter movies. Right. Which were um, hugely successful. So, like, it's no surprise right. that he got it. But, yeah. Right. So, it's like he has the power from those movies to do what he wants. It's admirable that he wants to do Rent. He is not the person to do Rent. Anyway. And then it was the full Broadway cast returning which was like, I don't know A decade know older. How. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, you don't want to play into ageism with any of this. But at the same time, like, these are very specifically young people. Right. Like, and I would get a read of Mimi that she's, like, being witty saying she's 19 years old when she's maybe not. But, like, yeah. these are supposed to be young people. Well, and Rosario um, Dawson is only... 25 when she makes it which makes her still one of the younger members of the cast in mm-hmm. only being like six years older than her her character and obviously well like, and tracy toms too yes. which when this was in i remember in an interview she mentioned when the movie was still in spike lee's hands and he was thinking about making yeah. the movie he she auditioned for him and he told her at the time which i mean it would have been a few years before the movie um that actually got made um, that she was too young. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. The 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 what if universe, her, like, baby Joanne. The what if universe of if Spike Lee had directed Rent 
fully blows my mind, and I genuinely yeah. don't know what we would have gotten. I think we would have gotten a movie that is not afraid of being a musical. Well, because this movie feels like it is fully tango moreening around. You being really a musical. okay? That's because they make the interstitial stuff spoken instead of sung. Yeah. See, I I don't get that read from it just because there are it's not like Frozen or whatever, which has like five songs sprinkled through and sort of, you know, that's what we're doing to animated musicals these days. It's just we're cutting the number of songs. There are so many songs and a lot of them which like, you know, start one right after the other in Rent. And I don't yeah. feel like on the stage Rent is three hours and it's essentially completely sung completely through. sung through. And this isn't, but it still feels very dense with songs to me. Again, somebody who doesn't come from a, you know, stage musical first right. perspective. Well, and I don't necessarily mean that because the stage show is sung through the whole time and this isn't. And it's like they take literal lyrics and make a whole scene of dialogue out of it rather than having them sing. It's more like it's full. The movie is much more confident, especially visually when people are speaking rather than singing like yeah it's like christopher columbus has no idea no idea how to shoot a musical sequence and it's like the ones that he probably shoots better are the ones that feel out of place like when you get this huge number out of tango maureen that doesn't really make any sense to me I, it feels like for a lot of these that he sort of stopped his ideas stopped with the location but like he he gets these yeah. big sort of like and to me very not New Yorky, you know, big locations. I don't know where that space was that they filmed the Tango Maureen, which is a, the same space where they have um, the Over the Moon art show or whatever, or like yeah. this giant cafe where they do La Vie Bohème. And I understand that you have to have all this space to have these big production numbers, but it makes it feel very not New York when you when you have all this space. Yeah. And it's supposed to yeah, be like the, the life most cafe New York show. is supposed to be like a bunch of artists and like junkies and people at like you know yeah. coping with the fact that they don't have money but like whatever. And it's like they show up in this movie and it's like they all went to a fucking apple It is it looks like a chili's it looks like God is in that chili's yeah. tonight. Um and then but yet I feel like that kind of thing works once and that is take me or leave me just because I'm so fascinated by this sort of mansion that they've decided to film in. And they sort of go from like room to room and they chase each other through. And that to me is probably the film's best sequence. I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I think the best sequence is easily out tonight. Oh, um, that's so good. I feel like even it though it's the it most PG strip, throw, strip show, as oh, like yeah, so many people fully. have said. Yeah. Fully. Um, it opens it up. It's a believable, like, concept of trying to make this a splashier musical without like you know vanillaing it into dullness the way the rest I think the rest of the movie does um, and it's also like it's full focus on Rosario Dawson who is not you know especially for people who love this musical it's like everybody else in this movie we grew up kind of or like we spent a decade listening to this cast album with all these people and it's like they're not as good in the movie. So it's like when Rosario get, Dawson gets that number, it's like, thank God, finally. That's when the movie I. So you think that the it. returning cast members are not as good on the movie as they were on the stage? That's what you're saying? I mean, I feel like, with the exception of maybe Jesse L. Martin, who seems to be like having a good time, his voice every is single so strong. one of them. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Every single original cast member otherwise looks like they've been kidnapped. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't know if I would go that far, but I do feel like you're not getting the power out of, or the, you know, you're not, Adam Pascal is not translating on screen the way he translates on stage. Yeah. Adina Menzel. Their vocal choices are less interesting. Yeah. Like they, everybody seems kind of miscast. A little bit. Like, I think Mark is a tough part, but, like, Anthony Rapp does, like, nothing in the movie, whereas you can get so much more personality on the cast recording. I think that's it's true. like everything falls flat except for the newer cast members. Yeah, I think I, I think that Rosario Dawson and Tracy Toms both do so well in really, really tough circumstances, being the only two new people in this cast. Daphne Rubin Vega was... You know, in addition to being, you know, so much older than Mimi. Mimi is the only one who is codified super young because she says that line, you look like you're 16, I'm 19. Um, But she was also pregnant at the time, so she couldn't do it. And then remind me of the woman who played Joanne because I can't remember her name. Freddie. On Broadway? It was Freddie Walker. And if I remember, she actually turned it down. She did. I think she said something to the extent of she was too old to begin with when she did it on Broadway. She did. Yes, this is what she had said. So... Um, I, my, our, our, your friend and mine, uh, Ashton Evans, who is maybe listening to this, he and I have always sort of been of this opinion and that we annoy our theater friends with, um, that Rosario Dawson is the best Mimi. And I feel like standing by it. I think she's absolutely fantastic in this movie. I think she's a spark of life. And, and I would say the same thing about Tracy Toms. I think Tracy Toms brings it in every respect. Now in the stage, the actress who plays Joanne is not the soloist in Seasons of Love? No. So that's two not. separate. Okay. It's the, because that soloist um, famously played by notoriously ousted American Idol contestant, Frenchie, Frenchie Davis. Davis. That's right. Um, that character plays the homeless woman who gotcha. um, accosts Mark for. Hey, artist got a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Like calls him full of shit basically have you seen by the way not to sidetrack have you seen um the tim murray viral video where he does he does valerie cherish practicing the hey artist got a dollar line like in the kitchen oh my all god overnight. no i, I am sending this to you wow. we have to link it link to it in the tumblr it is the funniest bit of like cross-cultural like so it's it's rent niche and it's the comeback niche like both in one and it's so Fantastically perfect. Dang. You have to. You have to. I thought not. Hey, artist, got a dollar? I thought not. That works too. Hey, artist, got a dollar? I thought not. I thought. I thought not. Hey, artist, got a dollar? I thought not. Got a dollar? Hey, artist, you got a dollar? Hey, artist, you got a dollar? I thought not. Yeah, I think Rosario's great. I think she's legitimately great in this movie. I mean, she's maybe, like, too good for this movie <laughs> My a favorite bit. thing like, watching this time was watching her react to things that are when she's not the focus. Like, yeah. when like when Maureen gets up and starts dancing with the ice sculpture during Take Me or Leave Me, and watch Mimi sort of, like, make a face at, like, Roger and Mark while this is happening or like her reaction after that number's over and Maureen's parents are like, maybe now you could get back with Mark and maybe just sort of just like swallows a laugh and like 
jets out of the the scene. It's she's like bye. She's having so much fun. She's clearly having so much. So fun. is Tracy Toms, and like yeah. that's what like you kind of need. And I think that's one of the reasons that this movie's so lifeless for me. I, it's a lot of Chris Columbus, but it's also like a cast revisiting something. And I get that there, and there probably was a certain contingent of the fan base. Like this is the era of when musicals were being adapted. It was like, you are committing sacrilege if it's not the Broadway cast. Yeah. Which is absurd to me. Which is absurd. Um, Particularly like when you have like hairspray, Marissa Jarrett Winokur was in her like mid thirties, yeah. I think. But I, Tracy al- I also don't feel like casting the rent equivalent of Nikki Blonsky in this makes it better, though. Right. Do you know what I mean? And like, I, I mean, I think people who are more like aligned to. I mean, this movie isn't interested in this, so it doesn't matter. But like people who are closer aligned or people who maybe haven't had their moment yet would be a better casting choice for this movie. Maybe. Like Rosario Dawson, like this feels like one of her biggest roles because like yes. as we talked about in our Seven Pounds episode and as is also true for Rent, she is always great in movies that don't deserve her. Yeah. But like this feels like the closest she ever got to getting like a real platform. So at least at this point. Yeah. So you said your favorite number is out tonight in the movie. What others did you like better than others? Um in the movie? Yeah. I think the opening number has a lot of energy to it. I genuinely like the way that they do the opening number, even if it's, you know, sort of silly and with everybody sort of like dumping their flaming trash out onto the street and whatever, which is taken from the musical. Yes. Sort of. Uh, They have like a, um, the big sort of scaffolding set, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think seasons of love is actually really shot. Well, I mean, I still ha- like have weird feelings about opening the movie with it. Yeah. Like, whereas it it wouldn't work in place of where it is on the show. So it's like, what's your solution? Um, it opening it yeah, that way though gives you a feeling that it's cribbing from Chicago in a way that it doesn't ever return to. Like, mm. there's no like pulling you out of the show within. There's no show within a show in this. So why are we seeing them lined up on a stage that way? Like, even in the end. When they end it, they end it on Mark's film, and that's the only sort of, like, meta thing where you start looking at the filming of them, and it's like, oh, is this outtakes from, like, filming? Is this whatever? And But it's not, like, it's not that same conceit as them standing on an empty on a stage in an empty auditorium. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. It felt haphazard a little bit. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's... I think the first half of this really, really works for me, and I think the first hour, I think it's I'm I'm fully on board. Up through I'm I guess up through, uh, take me or leave me, and then after that, when the sort of friendship starts falling apart, and then you can see the movie is really, really starting to fast forward. We're like, yeah. Mimi gets sick really quickly. Angel dies in a montage. Um, what you own is. Im- embarrassingly cringy 
Uh, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. Yeah, like the whole like his like, like mountain cliff. Right, driving down Route 66 with his hair blowing in the wind and whatever. And like that's kind of a cringy song in general. That's very much the like statement of purpose like anti-corporate don't sell out kind of anthem right yeah but in the movie it's also asks it you know they're also asking that song to do the heavy lifting of taking roger both out of new york and then back to it in the span of a song it all feels very rushed joanne and maureen are hardly ever separated that's rushed the entire alexi darling buzz line storyline is you know it's all rushed it's all very much like sped through and I don't think the songs in the second half are strong enough to hold it together until you get to the very end when all of a sudden, even though I really, really, really dislike the second half of the movie, the the No Day But Today sort of capper really pulls me back in in a really strong way. And I'm not quite sure if it's the song or if it's the sort of looks on everybody's face as they're performing it, but... I'm just a sap and like that's that's that is a song that is absolutely directed towards the most sentimental among us because it's literally like be sad because the show is ending. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and and I am. I don't know. I don't think it builds kind of this sense like it's more about like look at this unit of friends in the movie whereas I think on the stage show it kind of builds to something that speaks to community and like our ability yeah. to like as a mass people to lift each other up and support each other. Well, they take away, right. They take away all of the stuff about Mark wanting a community to sort of rally to rally yeah. around. Right. And even the part where before Roger leaves, when he's just like, he sort of mocks Mark for wanting a community, but hiding behind his camera or whatever. Like they take all of that stuff out. Yeah. And yeah, I think that I think you don't get that sense of it at all. I think La Vie Boheme is the only time where it feels like this group of seven. How many of them? One, two, three, Ish, four, five, yeah. six, seven. Yeah, I that guess they belong to something larger yes. than just their insular group. Yes. And La Vie Boheme, I think, is a really, really great. I do think it's a great number. It's it takes place in an unrealistic cafe. But Applebee's, yeah. But I think the 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 fun that is being had in that number feels genuine and infectious to me. Watching Listeners, sort of like I need you all to bum rush the Times Square Applebee's <laughs> and recreate that number. But I think that's the number where it's just like, oh, like Jesse L. Martin and Adina Menzel are just having fun. Like uh, uh, Rosario Dawson and Wilson Jermaine Heredia, like feel like like girlfriends kikiing or whatever. Like it's just it's fun. Yeah, no way to make a living. I will say the two numbers that I do actually think are really good that I haven't mentioned. Um, I think Today For You is great and essentially just translates exactly what's happening on the stage, but is like still a very fun number. Um, and does like, like you mentioned, Angel's Death is unfortunately just like montaged, which like I understand why they did that and how like minimalist it is on the stage, whatever. Right. But, you couldn't like, write it quite really too, but... gets us 
invested in Angel. Um, and then Santa Fe, I think, is a great number, how they set it in the subway, and it's really understated, and, like, they just get to do these, like, fun dances with subway poles. I think Santa Fe is a really good number. I think the transition from the very real New York subway platform to the very not real interior subway car is, to yeah. me, very jarring. But, like, otherwise, I think that's a great number. I have never gotten on board with Today For You as a number, both in, in any version. I think it fully makes no sense. Like, I... I it's a bop about killing a dog. Sure, but it doesn't communicate anything about Angel that you get in the rest of the movie. Like, I, from listening to that number, I'm like, so Angel's a mercenary pet killer for, like, cash no, on the street? No, she's... She's an enterprising woman. She like needs some money, and like, what does she do? She like, what does kills she do? Her neighbor's dog for some How? money. How drives it to but, suicide? But like, this was also like a like not a great dog. Like, you know, it's not like. I know, get it. Akita, Listen, Akita. I'm not going to defend but, the Akita of She is also, she's also like very gracious because she doesn't just like spend the money on herself. Like, she shows everybody a wonderful Christmas Eve. I wish we got a little bit like, more of that and a little bit less of like describing how she made the dog jump out a window by drumming a lot. I still don't get it. I still don't get today for you. Yeah. It's like, bitch, you're going to be loud. I'm going to be louder. And that, that dog couldn't take it. That's what makes dogs jump out windows. That's wild. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I most, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also like, I just, that number feels, I don't get anything out of it. I don't. It's weird. I don't know. Also, the phrase today for you, tomorrow for me doesn't make a whole lot of sense in that context either. And the fact that Mark names the film at the end today for you also was weird. I don't know. None of it ever connected with me ever. I don't get it. But it's fun. I It wants it <laughs> wants to communicate that to me. It really, really does. To me, I want my kind of fun is just listing off all the different bohemian influences. That's my idea of fun is to list off the names Pablo Neruda and uh, and Allen Ginsberg and everybody else who make us sound very smart. That's my idea of a fun fucking time. Jeez. I genuinely I mean a... that. I love La Vie Bohème. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Too few groups of friends do La Vie Bohème in, at karaoke relative to Take Me or Leave Me, which the legacy of that song to the practice of group karaoke is underrated. Nobody really talks about it being the best karaoke song of all time. What is more fun See, to like do? Maybe fifth of like the rent songs I would do at karaoke. List them. I would totally you do that. You threw it on that number. You got to stand up to it now. What are the five? Okay, so fine. Love you, Bo mm-hmm. Out tonight. I can't whistle tune, but like. I That's the thing. Out tonight the splits, is so very dependent on one person being able to hit those notes. I mean, like, for all the sad emo boys out there, y'all can do like one song glory, and I wouldn't be mad at eh, it. Pass. Um, oh, I would fully do Over the Moon. Like, Oh, that would be would fun. I've never seen moment. anybody do Over the Moon at karaoke, but I would live. I would fully live for that. I mean, you wouldn't even need like music. You would just <laughs> yeah. need the microphone. My one birthday turned into us doing the entire, uh, rent, of rent. The entire score of Rent <laughs> front to back. Not front to back. I think we started. It started because Richard Lawson put on Halloween 
Oh, God. And I was just like, what an odd place to start. And then, like, from there, we just sort of, like, radiated in all directions, sort of, like, out from there. But we ended up covering the entire, their entire selection of Rent songs, which was most of the score. And it was, honestly, maybe the best birthday I've had. It was so weird. And yet, and it all of a sudden, it was one of those things where it was this very sort of, like, you know how birthdays especially for if it is your birthday it is a bunch of people all connected to you but not necessarily connected to each other and there's always a little bit of like weird like tension in terms of just like my these friends and my these friends and whatever yes 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 and it turned out and it was one of those moments where richard put that song on and then everybody who was there kind of realized at the same time that we were all into rent so then we all just like started putting in for rent songs it was this is what this is why this show and for me the movie as well will always have a draw because it is both experientially and generationally like pulls you in i agree all right do we want to talk about the chicago effect and sort of drift away from the movie or is there is there any more movie specific stuff you want to get to before we start talking about the oscar stuff no because like we kind of drained the well or it's like we could drain the well but it would be a bummer because there's a lot of reasons why this movie is bad there's a lot of individual sequences you could pull apart that it's like this is why this sucks i kind of want to um, talk to you about that a little bit more but like we don't have to belabor the point but like i i'm I, i'm very curious to hear from people who hated this movie so much more than i did because i don't have it in me i really i can't i get it i i intellectually get why this was not a satisfying movie and i would not have like nominated it for oscars either but I don't get Most any. Of it's just like flatness, especially in comparison to what was happening on the stage and like yeah. how kind of revolutionary it felt and how many like rules it feel. It felt like this musical break. Do you feel like break. it was possible though for the movie to have that sense of revolutionary rule breaking and newness? Like, was oh, it possible to do that in two thousand five? Absolutely. I mean, like, look at what Moulin Rouge did a few years before this. Yeah, but Moulin Rouge wasn't based on anything previous, really. Yeah, but it it had its own sense of ingenuity, whereas this movie feels like it's borrowing from, like, a framework that doesn't even fit this musical. Um, Like, it's not visually interesting. Yeah. I think there could have been, if you would have had a more interesting director, like a cast that was new to the material that like felt like they might have had something to prove. I don't know. uh, I think you would have gotten a better movie. Even like Spike Lee, who could have just like, I mean, yeah, Spike Lee would have been great because he's at least like famously. Spike Lee like turns it into a jazz score and (laughs) something. I mean, like he would have had like any take that was like more than what Christopher Columbus Chris did. Yeah. Chris Columbus. Whatever. You do keep calling him Christopher Columbus, which is kind of funny. Oh, I do. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, so anyway. Shout out to our 1492 episode. So 2002, Chicago, the movie version of the musical Chicago, after many, many, many years, comes out. Everybody, like, that's the lead up to the Chicago movie. People were not as convinced that that was going to be good as as things turned out. I remember being, you know, people were very cautious as we were getting up to Chicago, especially like, can Renee Zellweger sing and dance? And like, even like Catherine Roxy Hart, she doesn't have to. This is the thing. I, this is the thing I always say, or like people who get really mad about like Chicago cuts away from, you can't see her, you know, full on dancing. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a movie. It doesn't have to like, 
show you it's also, working Roxy that Hart way. Isn't supposed to be good. Like, That's also the she thing. can be played by someone who is great. Yes, but like yeah. Well, this is sort of the cabaret thing, which like when Michelle Williams was in cabaret, and they were like, you know, she's not supposed to be like the whole thing is that she's a striver and yada yada yada. Anyway, yeah. um, we'll talk about that in the Chicago episode. We'll never do because nothing had Best more Oscar winner. success than Chicago. Holy crap! You are incredibly right that well, it could have had more success. It could have won Best Director. Yeah, um, that's true. You are incredibly correct that like part of the reason why that movie was so successful because the skepticism for it was high. Yes. So it's like it gets to prove people wrong. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it was, and also it was new. Like the musical, the movie musical had li- laid fallow for a very, very long time. It's not that there were none, but it really had not been a success since. I mean, I'm trying to think of like when was was there a '90s movie musical? I mean, you could you could qualify Evita because Evita is an Oscar winner. Yeah, but Oscar Evita was also, a, but it was a, a box office dud. And like, a lot of people yeah. really don't like how that turned out either. Like a lot of yeah, people don't like Evita the movie, and I don't know. It's just like it was on another level, and so with Chicago. And with, I should say, Moulin Rouge the year before, all of a sudden the movie musical is back and projects are getting greenlit here, you know, every which way for stage to screen adaptations, especially from the big popular uh, stage productions. So Mm -hmm. it's Phantom of the Opera in 2004, 2005, it's the producers and Rent. 2006, it's Dream Girls. 2007 is yeah. 2007 is Hairspray and Sweeney Todd. Then 2009 is Nine, and then Les Mis in 2012, Into the Woods in 2014, and for as much as a lot of the movies that I've just named were, you know, did not reach the standard of Chicago Phantom of the Opera gets Oscar nominations the producers got Golden Globe nominations I don't think any of them were Oscar nominations no no Hairspray got like a SAG nomination and like various precursor stuff Dreamgirls was the front runner going into nomination morning and still ends up winning an Oscar for Jennifer Hudson even though it didn't get the best picture nomination it got a bunch of stuff Nine gets a nomination for Penelope Cruz. Les Mis gets a Best Picture nomination plus wins an award for Anne Hathaway. Into the Woods gets a Streep nomination and a bunch of like Golden Globe stuff. Sweeney Todd gets the Johnny Depp nomination. And so it's interesting when I, I mentioned Rent and people were like, that had Oscar buzz? It's like, yes, every yes. major musical uh, transfer since Chicago has had Oscar buzz and ultimately has gotten some sort of awards attention, which is why I'm so fascinated by as we lead up to Cats, because Cats is not a musical that gets any respect. And Cats, at this point, is Tom Hooper. Cats is going to be an Oscar winner. It's going to get some type of design Oscar. Just resign yourself. But I think we've finally gotten back to the point where a movie musical has more skepticism than optimism going in. And it's because yeah. Cats is going to reap the negative Les Mis buzz for Tom Hooper, and it's going to reap the negative Cats buzz from being Cats. So all of a sudden... And the, some of those casting choices are people that are not well-liked in certain spheres. Yeah, rattle them off. Um, I mean, like, first of all, it's just kind of insane that, like, Judy Dench is playing old Deuteronomy. I love it. Um, I love it. But, like, people don't like Taylor Swift. People are stupid and don't like Jennifer Hudson. Rebel Wilson. Um, 
Rebel James Wilson. Corden. Jesus Christ, I forgot she's in it. James Corden's in it. Jason yeah. Derulo as the Rum Tum Tugger, which is weird. That's so wild. Weird uh, and wild. Ian McKellen as Gus the Theater Cat is fantastic casting. That's wonderful. Also, uh, Idris Elba, who's going to have more fun than anybody else. As McCavity, yes. Yes. Also, okay, and the thing about Jennifer Hudson as Grizabella, which apparently at some point in the last 10 years, Grizabella went from being this old raggedy-ass cat to being a a young pop diva who has, like, like, ratchety, like, wardrobe shit going on is wearing like a like tattered leather uh tattered fur coat or something like that and i don't quite understand why we went from like it's not like betty buckley was an old lady when she played uh grisabella or uh elaine page or whatever but they were they weren't like nicole scherzinger leona lewis jennifer hudson it's just it's it's an interesting change in the way like grisabella's supposed to be a dying old lady cat who like used to be glamorous and she doesn't have to be like elderly, but she is, she has to be that sort of, you know, I'm trying Betty Buckley originally. Yeah. Betty Buckley fucking killed that shit. Anyway, this is not a cat's podcast. This is just to say that cats may be the closest thing we have to a musical that won't have Oscar buzz that might surprise people. I I am so ready for the shit show. I'm so excited for it, you guys. Honestly, <laughs> I... nobody likes the cats. Like nobody says they like the cats musical. There has to be some of us because it's so incredibly popular. I mean, it was like a family's thing. Like you took kids to see cats. But I like, love the shit I... show that is cats. I do. It has no story. I, I don't I care. I don't love cats, but I like I am so ready to watch this monstrosity that it Who be... is Taylor Swift playing? Who what what number? Bumble-arena. What number? She's she like get? Bumble Arena doesn't necessarily have like her number, but she's like so pseudo of a narrator to it. Is she the one who like sings about how pathetic Grizabella is? I think so, yeah. And does that weird little, like, counterpoint part in memory where she's like, dreams are ba-da-da, like that part? And it sounds like she's just, like, taunting Grisabella. Because that would be kind of perfect. That would be kind of perfect casting for Taylor Swift. Endless masquerading. That one. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Anyway. That gif of like Elmo with the flames behind him and is like reaching to the stars, like yeah, <laughs> like that is fully me to any announcement for cats. Yeah. So of that um, like run of musicals from Chicago through now present day, what are the ones that you like the best? Oh, I mean, fully. I like not to get on the cat's train but like i hope that like jennifer hudson gets to have like a similar narrative to grisabella where people stop talking shit about her because dream girls i will throw down for that movie it's incredible i love it um, so you are on the train also... of jennifer hudson deserved to win an oscar for singing one song very well um first of all i am not on that train because that's not at all what i'm saying okay. i think that's first of all people <sighs> Like, not to, like, make it, like, this is this box and this is another, but, like, people really don't appreciate what a great musical performance is when they say things like that. It drives me insane because, like, it's just one song, first of all. To begin with, it's not just one song. I agree with that. But, like, are you not going to give an Oscar to Barbara Streisand for, like, any of her one song? And granted, like, there's more going on in that performance, but, like... 
I, I hate when musical performances get reduced down to like the big number. Well, and it's and um, because people don't also admit that other other actors win for just one scene, and it's not because they're only in one mm-hmm. scene, but like they they win for a hook, and sometimes their hook is the their one big clip scene and like that's what jennifer hudson had was one big clip scene but that clip was an entire song and that song was incredibly impressive i do feel like jennifer hudson in the parts of dream girls where she is not singing exposes herself as being a non-professional actor but i mean you know you take the good you take the bad you take them both and there you have effie white it's better than a and then even some other recent, even supporting actress wins. I'm looking at you, Alicia Vikander. Um, <laughs> I do feel uh, like Grizabella is not going to be able to get the um, the Anne Hathaway, Les Mis, going to win an Oscar possibility. Even though, again... It's still cast. It's still one big song, though. Because, again, Hathaway had the same thing. Hathaway had I Dreamed a Dream. That's what she won on, also. Um, although yeah. I will say, watching clips of it again, I did a, a piece on Hathaway last week for her in Serenity. I watched the end of Les Mis, where she sort of sings Jean Valjean into the afterlife. And there's a point in when they're doing Beyond the Barricade again, where she just sort of like snaps her neck and faces the camera and sh- as she's singing about the distant drums or whatever. And I'm like, that's why Anne Hathaway won the Oscar too. Because like she commits to even this little bit of like, she's on screen for half a second, but she is a full movie star in that half of a second. And like, that's why she won an Oscar. Yeah. I would also say that like the removal of hairspray from movie musical narratives is criminal. That movie is fantastic, I love it. and like that's a hit movie. And as that well. is a and movie. People forget that that's a hundred million dollar movie, and like they want to act. People want to act like musicals can't make money or make that kind of money, and Hairspray did it without any problems. And I will say this: that is as much of a uh, testament to sort of every dog has his day, also because it's not like Adam Shankman is this great giant of cinema. Adam Shankman is incredibly talented at things. You know the things that he does. Lord knows. I am a So You Think You Can Dance fan, so I loved him, you know, as a judge and choreographer on that show. But, like, he was the right man for the task for that show, for that movie, at that time. The choreography in that movie is incredible. Um, The casting in that movie is really, really good and on point in both the the recognizable stars and the the new people. And for his weird-ass as John Travolta is in that movie, and a lot of people couldn't get past it, every time I see that movie, it it makes more sense to me. It's more mm-hmm. John Watersy to me. Do you know what I mean? We're like, I think he's great. I think he's great. It's in so it. campy, um, but it should be. Yeah, he might not um, even. I would also. He might not even be in on I, that joke, and yet, that's fine yeah. with me. Yeah. Anyway. I'm also a Sweeney Todd defender. I am Not too. any of the thing that really has to do with much of the performances in the movie. Um, I feel like it's the last time Tim Burton has tried. Yeah. And I fear that it will be the last time that he tries. Um, I don't think, not Johnny Depp aside, I don't think Helena Bonham Carter has a great singing voice. But watching her do whatever she does when she like barely opens her mouth is very entertaining to me. In a way that like yeah. I admit that it's probably just because I'm a fan of hers. But like... 
it's a take on Mrs. Lovett that I don't necessarily love, right. but it is distinctly her own, and that's really the only thing I demand watch her, from anyone playing Watch Mrs. her mouth Lovett. when she does, does the, yes, Miss Todd, yes, Miss Todd, yes, what is that sound? Like, that thing. Her mouth doesn't open. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> it's very strange. It's very weird. I love it. Um, Phantom of the Opera, I think, is an abomination, and I know that like most people yes. don't like Phantom of the Opera, the musical. I am a little bit of a defender of Phantom, just because it was the first musical that I ever saw, and I had bought that cast album. It's like, it was like the one cast album I bought when I was a kid, so it was, you know, it was sort of all I knew for a while. And yeah. there's a way to do the Phantom of the Opera musical well. Joel Schumacher sure didn't find it. He really cast poorly. I love Emmy Rossum, but that was not the role for her. Gerard Butler is awful. Awful. Um, it's Yeah, with his acne. Yeah. <laughs> his acne scars. That was the big secret. That was the big Phantom of the Yeah, Oscar that's secret. what's so terrifying. That's why he has to live in a lair. But it's not it's um, not even just the performances. I think and I Joel Schumacher is another movie that I is another director that I feel like gets too too hard of a time when he's doesn't always deserve it. Like he's made some really bad movies. I don't think Batman and Robin is defendable. I think it's a terrible movie, but like Schumacher's made some good movies, but like Phantom of the Opera makes some of the most baffling camera choices where like, he'll like fully follow up like a character walking up a set of stairs and like focus on their like feet when they're singing and it's just like just let me see them sing let me see them fucking emote during point of no return i don't understand it also i think nine is a full-on snooze oh man and talk about somebody who like weirdly i was like a teenager obsessed with that musical because i was in i think i was in like early high school years when that revival happened yeah um so I was like weirdly obsessed with it. And like that movie, I'm sure if you watched me watching it, like full on Nicole Kidman and birth, you could see <laughs> the color drain from my face. I fell asleep. Like I didn't want to, but I really did. I fell asleep. Also into the woods, I think has moments, Ugh. but does not hang together. And in terms of falling short of the standard of the, the stage, like that's the like highest quality stage musical to drop off for the movie uh, on this list. It's, yeah. It's so disappointing. It was probably a bad idea at the beginning. I can't imagine anybody who thinks like, oh, Into the Woods is the movie to let Rob Marshall do. Like, no. <sighs> I, no, no, don't, no. Just no. No. I don't know. Um, and then what else have we missed? Like, Les Mis. I don't know. Les Mis is a whole. Well, we didn't talk about the producers, which is like, as we mentioned, I several weeks later. I feel like. If well, yeah, no one thinks about it. It was the one that was much closer to Oscar buzz than Rent, and it's worse than Rent. It, well, it, I and think it was also that producers a is the abomination. Giant bomb, like it yeah. made twenty million dollars. Yeah, off of a forty-five million dollar budget, like it was off of being the most awarded. Uh, musical at the Tonys at the time which is just like some of this shit is because you open in a bad season because the producers I will say right now is a terrible musical interesting I think it sucks I don't have a whole lot of feeling towards it one way or the other I only saw the movie once but like it's it's wild to me that Will Ferrell got a Golden Globe nomination out of it first of all it's so stupid did Lane get a nomination for it? Now I want to look up the Golden Globe no. that year. No, just did the movie get? Uh, maybe he did. Maybe he did. Actually, but like that Sorry, thing was in the Best Picture conversation probably up until yeah. like the week that nominations came out. 
wild. We should do and the producers. And then it got goose egg. At some point. Even though I don't relish having, you know, seeing it again. To watch it at all. So, and then, so those, these are all like the, and I guess Mamma Mia is also technically a, you know, on this list. And that did very well. Although I feel like the first Mamma Mia, now that we've seen the second Mamma Mia, I have a lot less, I'm a lot less charitable for the, to the first one. Because I think the second one is the fun movie that we all sort of wanted to say that the first one was. Yeah. The whole third act of that movie is like wonderful yeah unimpeachable cinema yeah can we talk about the comedy musical lineup at the globe since we brought up the producer you know five sure let me bring it up yeah i think this is a really strange list i'll i'll run it down you have the producers you have the squid and the whale like the cool like sometimes the globes picks the cool indie it does um pride and prejudice which i remember there being like uh is this really a comedy dust up with that movie um, yeah. uh, Mrs. Henderson presents Oscar nominee Fully Forgotten. Yes. Um, and then the winner was Walk the Line. Right. Which is like a mu- interesting. A musical in that there is a lot of music in it. Like it's yes. one of those. It's like Ray. It was the, it was the year after Ray, and really, you know, back to and back. People had a problem with that being distinguished as a com- as musical, and I don't think that's stupid. Like I think I when you see people complaining about Bohemian Rhapsody being submitted as a drama at the Globes too. And it's like, it's just as much of a musical as Walk the Line. Okay. I think maybe, I think for Bohemian Rhapsody, that's probably true. I think there's a difference. I I remember having this argument with people this year about the difference between A Star is Born and Walk the Line. And I feel like A Star is Born feels like it propels itself on its music in a way that Walk the Line doesn't. How do you feel? Hmm. Um, I think that's a little slippery of an argument that I can like see both sides of simply because a star is born like the first hour and the second hour are very different yeah. in terms of like how forefronted the music is. Um, Nathan Lane did get a Golden Globe nomination for the producers. Stupid. They nominated six people. That was a weird lineup. Joaquin Phoenix. That lineup is fully Joaquin weird. Phoenix beats Jeff Daniels for The Squid and the Whale. Johnny Depp for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which was, was that the first of the Johnny Depp is getting nominated for playing obnoxious in the wake of Pirates of the Caribbean? Like, I feel like that's where it started. It couldn't have, Possibly. Couldn't have started before that, because the year before that was Finding Neverland, which was the Halo nomination off of... Uh, just because it's boring doesn't make it not not obnoxious. No, but I mean, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is different. It's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland and I don't know. I feel like it's a whole different thing. Anyway, Nathan Lane and the producers, Killian Murphy and Breakfast on Pluto, which is a really interesting... That was Neil Jordan, or am I mistaken? Yes. Yes. Neil Jordan will just make a movie. He doesn't care whether you see it or not. He'll just be like, you know what? Yeah. It's there. It's out there. Find it if you want to. And Pierce Brosnan in The Matador, which I never saw, but I remember people sort of liked it. Mm-hmm. It was like a noir kind of they crime liked him. comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people really liked it. He him. got legitimately great reviews for it, I remember. Yeah. So that's an odd category that sort of jumps around in quality a lot. I'm not saying that Joaquin Phoenix shouldn't have won, because I do think he's actually very good in Walk the Line. But you're right that it feels odd for being in a comedy category. And like... You know, Squid the Whale is a dark comedy, so I don't know if I would have necessarily, you know, been so psyched about Jeff Daniels winning either. 
I don't know. It's a weird year. See, I love that performance. Um, I love the performance. uh, Which we've talked about in previous episodes. We should also mention, if we pull it back to Rent for a minute, I do think it's even, like, it would have made sense for the Globes to have just, like, given one Best Picture comedy or comedy musical nomination to Rent, but, like, Mm -hmm. Rent was, like, more unfairly maligned than the producers. Um, At least because, like, we've done... 2005 before and we haven't really talked about the Brokeback Mountain crash of it all doesn't necessarily make uh, like sense to talk about it yeah we'll get movie. another shot but at sure. least like the gay stuff to do with Rent like you can see how like if people are trying to reward that narrative how it's so easy for them to overlook Rent when Brokeback Mountain is right there yeah it's true like hate to reduce it to narratives like that but in 2005 that was definitely a thing where it's like but we have this one that we respect the best original song nominees that year at the globes are interesting because of course rent did that thing that all the new musicals do again chicago set this precedent where they add one new song and they'll maybe play it over the credits or whatever and they'll try and eke out an oscar nomination that way producers got the Globe nomination that year for There's Nothing Like a Show on Broadway. Didn't work for Rent with, what is it called? Love something? Sure. Love Heals, the song that they played over the closing credits. That was the new Rent song. Didn't work for them, but the Globe nominees were A Love That Will Never Grow Old from Gustavo Santolaya from Santolaya from Brokeback Mountain, which Santolaya. I don't remember there being a song it's because like the songs are kind of hidden in that movie yeah. traveling through the dolly parton song which does also become an oscar nominee a song Fully called christmas oscar and love from a movie called christmas and love that i don't remember one bit gonna look this it's shit an up. italian movie with danny devito wow what? you could say that it is alone yet not alone among the <laughs> uh and then a song the i fully hell? never knew existed Wonderkind by Alanis Morissette from the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you know, that's saying something that you don't know that an Alanis song I know. So all of these, this entire lineup, except for Dolly, gets swept away. And this is the year that uh, It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp wins, right? Yes. Yes. Great winner. Sure. Listen, we all knew where we were when we all decided that 3-6 Mafia would be our cultural ambassadors for a year. That is a fun song from a from a movie and, a, and represents the era of the best song category, which is songs that really integrated themselves into the movie. And like with the ascension of Crash that year and like especially that Oscar performance, like because they set like a car on fire on stage fully. I was like, if this is the ascension of Crash and this stupid song wins best original song. So like over Dolly and the greatness of It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp, I was fully going to lose. I would have voted for Dolly too, but I, I am fully team Kathleen Bird York and the fire car in the Crash. It's the only thing I like about crash is the original score and that song and that performance now you're out there swimming in the deep in the deep that is what i want out of crash i want the rest of the movie to go away except for also the part where sandra bullock goes 
I'm angry all the time, and I don't <laughs> know why. Which has... I think Tandy Newton and Terrence Howard are good in Crash, but... Uh, everything good that Terrence Howard does gets so wiped away by that plot twist with his daughter. Yeah. That, like, I can't yeah. think of good. And the same thing with sort of... Tandy but Newton. He's good. Tandy Newton is so tied to that Matt Dillon plotline that I hate Ugh. so much that like it's tough. That's the thing about Crash. That's why the things that I like are the things that are easiest to pick out, which are the Mark Isham score, the song, and one little line of dialogue from Sandra Bullock in the trailer that like I don't even need to see the movie to get. But whenever I I would sort of sit down and I'm just like, man, I'm mad, and I would think of that line would just go through my head of just like I'm so the time um i don't know that was i think the only good thing we really got out of crash is jack nicholson pronouncing crash Crash. on the wind crash and the oscar goes to crash he's so it's the best it's the best line reading of his entire career like I've I remember like seeing something this year that was terrible and like texting you and being like that movie was Jack Nicholson saying crash voice crash, crash. yeah <laughs> okay anything else about rent while we sort of pull things into the station here I mean not much I mean Rosario got a satellite award for it um IMDb lists that they um the Critics' Choice nominated Seasons of Love for Best Song, but it has to be that other song, right? Like the original. Knowing the Critics' Choice, Love Heals. Whatever. Knowing the Critics' Choice Awards, it would not. I would not put it past them to just right? n- nominate Seasons of Love just because they're so craven. Especially like this era when it was like they were just starting to like mold into what they were going to be. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, like. I think Rent, if we're talking this era of musicals and musicals that had Oscar buzz, like, obviously it died when the movie opened and it got bad reviews and it, like, nowhere near matched the quality or prestige or, like, rightful awards of the stage production. As soon as it became clear that the movie was not going to be the cultural phenomenon that the, the show was, this is why, this is my feeling about Hamilton. There is no way that a movie version of Hamilton is going to approach what the musical did. There are just different ways that we take in uh, cultural artifacts and we cannot, we won't experience a Hamilton movie the way we experience Hamilton on stage. You're just, we certainly won't if it's directed the way that Chris Columbus did rent where it's just like, let's gloss over and like, just make it about the emotion. Like I think you can make a good Hamilton movie if you have, like somebody, if you have someone directing it who has a like a take and a perspective and like is making a movie and not filming like what we love about the stage show, you know. Like, uh, but I also feel like that I see. To me, I think that's an impossible needle to thread because then all of a sudden you are losing all of your support from your legions and legions of fans of the stage show who are going to not react well to seeing the thing that they love turned into a movie that is not the thing that they love. I don't know. I think like if people really love the material and like somebody does right by it, by making it good, Mm. a good translation, like the thing that's going to piss people off the most is making something bad. I don't know. I think certain things just, I think you are, I think ultimately 
you end up doing it because there is, you know, money to be had. But also, right. there's just, I I don't, I don't see a Hamilton movie ever being able to succeed in the way, certainly not in the way that the musical has. I just feel like we, we experience different medium, different ways. But that's me. I mean, this is like a rent is also like we mentioned a Pulitzer winning musical. So it's like maybe the thing where it's like, well, so oh, you can slap the word Pulitzer on something and now it has Oscar buzz, which is totally true. Maybe we shouldn't pay attention to that. Well, when the next normal movie comes out and proves us all wrong. Oh, God, <laughs> that would be so great. Next to normal is one of the examples I use when I'm like HBO needs to make musicals because. Like, oh, that's yeah, an idea. Um, that's. That's like my weird thing. I That's think. the Olive Kittredge um, of uh, 2021 will be the next to normal miniseries musical. It'll be Carolina Change on HBO. Also would be good, though, honestly. Oh, man. All right. Anyway. You know, HBO had the right. They could also it. do Company that way. Company should not be a the- theatrical movie either, but it should be. Now I'm on board with you. Wait a second. We're going to have a whole emergency they podcast. They could do Light in the Piazza. Like all these yeah, things man. that studios would be too Fun afraid home. to fund. HBO can do it. Why not? Yes. They're just they just chase Emmys. Why not Fuck. chase Emmy with a musical? Yes. Well, I mean, they did that with uh, Billy Holiday, the uh, the Audrey McDonald Billy Holiday thing. Did they just film the stage show though? No. Well, See, I I'm mean, not saying film. They didn't. It. I'm saying they didn't just, but they own. basically just. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it was uh, one okay. of those. Uh, gotcha. Anyway. Anyway, Rent, bad movie, exceptional stage production, wonderful time capsule yes benny and ain't maybe benny ain't shit that's what i'm gonna end it with yeah. benny ain't shit yeah trying to make me pay my rent okay uh imdb game why don't you tell us all what we're doing with IMDb? <laughs> okay so the imdb game every week we end our episodes by challenging each other to name the top four known ti- known four titles that imdb says that we know celebrities for we usually pick some type of famous actor or character actor to challenge each other with we um you get two wrong guesses and then we will mention the years to help each other out if you can't get it from there it becomes kind of a free-for-all we also um mention if there is voiceover or tv work in the known for on imdb and we try to avoid marvel and harry potter because those float to the top for basically everybody and that's boring yes all right so do you want me to give to you first I'm sure. All right. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of this 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 episode, I don't know why I said that. Beginning of this episode, that Stephen Chbosky did the screenplay adaptation for the Rent movie. One of Stephen Chbosky's big film triumphs was when he wrote the adaptation or directed the adaptation for his own. Right, he wrote that novel. Yeah. Did. Are you saying Perks I'm of being saying the a Perks wallflower. of being a wallflower? Yes, the yeah, star of the Perks of be. being a wallflower, besides uh, Emma Watson and Sweet Baby Ezra Miller, was Sweet Baby Logan Lerman. So why don't you do the IMDb Logie game learns. for Sweet Baby Logan Lerman? Um, shout out to Logan Lerman's performance in that movie. I think he's legitimately incredible. He's wonderful. I think all three um, of them. I think all three leads in that movie are great. He's doing like incredible stuff in that movie, though. Uh, okay. Um. Whatever. Um. Well, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yes, correct. Uh, I'll just go the franchise route or wanted to be a franchise route and say Percy Jackson. Per- Whatever the first one is. Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Lightning Thief. Yes, correct. 
Yes. Um, another movie we could talk about one day, Fury? Correct. Okay. So bad. Um, and I spent the I entirety like movie, actually. I spent the entirety of that movie yelling at people to not be mean to Logan Lerman. Oh. <laughs> um, you leave him alone. He is in Darren Aronofsky's Noah, so Noah. No, strike one. Really? Noah, a movie um, I saw in the theater unhappily. It, that's not a good movie. Might have been the last movie I saw in the old Park Slope Pavilion before they closed it down. Mm. Now it's a Nighthawk. I'm going to burn this one, but I feel like there's no way that it's there. Um, good movie, and he's really good in it, and Tracy Letts is really good in it. Indignation. Yes. What? Yes. I was fully just burning it I know. That off. I know. As soon as you said I'm going to burn this one, I'm like, fuck, he's got it. Yeah, Indignation. Good movie. Good movie. Tracy Letts is fantastic. You are absolutely right. But bizarre that that's one of his known for movies and not even that weirdo Three Musketeers that he did or like 310 to Yuma, which shows up on like so many other people's IMDb and somehow not his. Forgot that he was in that. He's in a lot of movies playing like the younger version of... Uh, or like someone famous as kid or the younger version of someone where it's like the number 23, he's the kid, the butterfly effect. He's young Ashton Kutcher riding in cars with boys. He's the younger version of um, Adam Garcia's character in what women want. He's the young Mel Gibson. He doesn't have a whole lot of movies that like you don't like even his like younger kid like roles. He doesn't have a lot of like stuff you don't remember. He just like just started right. doing movies that like people saw. It was wild. Good for Interesting. you. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I went a little more basic with my challenge for you. Um, we talked about the producers quite a bit happening in the same year as Rent. We also talked about the wild and very silly nomination that came for Will Ferrell. Ooh. Your IMDb game challenge is Will Ferrell. All right. Will Ferrell, as we Star know, of Holmes and Watson. As we know, you you as we learned when you did John C. Riley for the IMDb game, Step Brothers did not show up on his. So now I'm trepidatious about Will Ferrell. All right, I will say Anchorman. Yes. Okay. I will say Talladega Nights. Yes. Okay. Yeah, two. All right. After that, and no television. No television. So no Saturday Night Live. Um, I don't think the producers is going to be one of them. Although, when you start snickering, I'll know that I'm wrong. Um, you think I'm way more nefarious <laughs> at this game than I am. So maybe I'll just start laughing at things just to throw you off. I'm going to throw Step Brothers out there just to throw it out there. No, Step Brothers is not the on there. I would have guessed the injustice I, for Step Brothers. Well, but like you would think that it would make sense that John C. Riley would not be on. Would Step Brothers would not be on his because John C. Riley does way more movies, yeah, than Will Ferrell. So I am legitimately surprised that it's not on Will Ferrell's Blades of Glory. Yes, why? I, I that was feeling. one of the reasons I picked this because I was like, no it's way insane. he's getting Blades of Glory. It shouldn't be, and yet, yes. All right, so one left, and I don't think it's going to be one of those, like, sad Will Ferrell. Although, I'll throw out Stranger Than Fiction before for my second. I'll burn this Is that one. your guess? Yeah. 
No. Okay. So you have two wrong guesses. It's um. So I'm giving you the year. It's 2013. All right. Will Ferrell, 2013. Um. Hmm. Was that Anchorman two? Yes. Is that what it is? Yes, it's Anchorman 2. Weird. See, you kind of got the two that I was like, oh, this is dumb. Why are these the yeah. options? I'm doing this to like yeah. make it difficult. Weird. What a lame What IMDb a lame IMDb game, game for Will Ferrell. He has so many more interesting ones than that. I would have died if it was like Winter Passage. Or what's the one where he throws all his belongings out on the, the lawn? Everything must go. Everything must go. Right. He'll make a dour movie every once in a while. All right, well, that's it for our episode on Rent. Hopefully you enjoyed this one as much as you enjoyed the Vanessa Hudgens TV live musical a few weeks ago. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, which, why shouldn't you? We are This is Oscar week, if I am not mistaken, right, Chris? Uh, we are heading into Oscar heading week. Heading into Oscar week. How exciting. You should be very primed for all things Oscars, so why not? catch up on our archives you know enjoy yourself some this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscar you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz chris where can the listeners find you and your stuff uh you can and should find me on twitter.com i am at chris v file that's f-e-i-l also find me on letterbox at the same username where i also keep our uh running list of all of our this head oscar bus titles where you can find our imdb game trivia and stats to see who is better at this joe or me Yay. but it also has direct links to our episodes wonderful and i'm also writing at the film experience that's the film experience.net Excellent. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with iTunes visibility. So head on down to the Life Cafe, connect to their free Wi-Fi, mooch off of it, and, you know, moo at us, won't you? We can hear you mooing out there. Moo louder. Moo with yeah. me. Moo. Moo, Chris. Yeah. Moo. Thank moo. you all. Thank you for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz Moo. Buzz line. This had Oscar Buzz line. Alexi, darling. Bye. Moo with me. Yes. Who is that? Come on. Moo with me. Yes. Come on, sir. Don't be shy. Let it go. Move.